0: It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, 20 years after Babylon 5's debut. This intro cast is a dream-given form. Its goal, to introduce the show to new fans by creating a place where new viewers and old alike can discuss the show peacefully. It's a port of call, home away from home, for geeks, nerds, podcasters, and wanderers. British and Americans, wrapped up in minutes of audio downloads, all alone on the web it can be a silly place but it's our last best hope for intelligent analysis this is the story of the first of the babylon 5 intro cast the year is 2014 the name of the show is down below well hello again everyone and welcome to down below a babylon 5 intro cast i'm will i'm ann
1: and i'm elizabeth
0: Hopefully, Heidi will be able to join us in a few minutes. And I accidentally told our guest, Eric, the wrong time. I said Eastern time and not Pacific time. So I um, haven't been able to get through to him. So maybe we'll have him back for a later episode.
1: Sorry, Eric. That's yeah.
0: yeah, my Sorry, fault. Sorry, Eric.
1: And, um, yeah, we're quite lonely this week. It's just the three of us. Yeah,
0: sad. <laughs> Today, we are here to discuss episode... 12, I think, of Season 1, by any means necessary, but first, here's an ISN report.
2: This is an ISN special report. Dock workers on Babylon 5 were involved in an illegal strike this week. Working conditions were unbearable, one unnamed source told us. In other news, Ambassador Jakar was in search of a special plant he needed to perform a religious ceremony, which was in the end provided by Ambassador Malari. This has been your ISN special report.
0: By any means necessary, originally aired May 11, 1994. It was directed by Jim Johnston, who last directed Survivors. That was the last episode. Yeah. So, I did we just do that one?
2: I know, I feel like I've heard his name a few times.
0: Yeah. It was written by Catherine M. Drennan. This is the only episode she wrote, but she did write a Babylon 5 book. Interesting, she was married to JMS at the time she wrote this episode. Oh,
1: okay.
0: I did not know that, no. So they didn't want to have any appearance of favoritism, so instead of assigning her a premise to write, he had her submit her own premise and had it approved by other people in the you know, production crew before he gave the green light on it and okay
2: so that so that even right there kind of tells you that they were trying to look for like a one-off episode
0: yeah most of the time j m s did the edits to the scripts himself, but he gave this script to Larry detilio, who's a story editor and has written some episodes to do the revisions for her script
3: mm-hmm has
2: she written uh did she write anything for any other shows do you know
0: um yeah it wasn't anything major I, um that stood out to me i think it okay. was i saw some anime but this
2: was her <laughs> last one apparently <laughs> you get one and no more
0: all right so let's get started with the recap so this episode begins with ivanova directing some ships that are coming and going there's an impatient norn captain waiting to dock he has some perishable cargo for Bastard Jakar and she promises to do whatever she can to speed things up. This Nar captain is Michael McKenzie. He was he played a hotel manager in House of Cards, but we've seen him before. He was a pilgrim in Parliament of Dream and he was the one who rescued Catherine Sakai at Sigma nine five seven in Mind War.
2: Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I like the Narns, so I'm always excited when a Narn shows up. He didn't really have a part, big part, but...
1: Yeah, um, and also, you see the monotony of uh of us every day. You kind of get a bit of understanding why she's so, well, on edge all the time. You know, you would not like to have a day-to-day job like this, trying to deal with all the moody captains that pass through your station.
2: Yeah, it seems like, I mean... Is she always directing traffic like that? Because, I mean, as the plot allows, she goes off and handles other things. But they made it seem like it was very, very, very busy all the time there.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just something she does in shifts occasionally. Um, Perhaps she's the one in charge of doing it when she's on in CNC. But if she's elsewhere or has a more important job to do, it's get past the... Clara. Um, yeah, Clara, <laughs> who gets a couple of lines in this episode herself. Yeah.
0: So down in the docks, the dock workers are doing their thing, uh, Andy Urbanova contacts Del Vientos, who is the foreman, to see if they can get to the Narn transport sooner. Eduardo Del Vientos was played by Jose Rey. He was in a lot of stuff in the 90s but hasn't been in anything since 1999.
2: He has an amazing
0: mustache.
1: <laughs> yeah, and just seemed like just the right bit part player for this type of role. It was really good casting.
2: Yeah, he was pretty good.
0: So he's busy and doesn't have the crew but he agrees to squeeze her in the, the transport, not Susan. <laughs> um... <laughs> Ivanova relays this to the Narn captain, but the computer has a malfunction and raises another transport at the same time. There's going to be a collision. I just have Clara! Exclamation point. <laughs> it's Clara, it's <laughs> yeah. awesome. The Narn captain freaks out, and instead of listening to Ivanova, he starts his engines and crashes into the station, damaging part of the station. We have the opening credits.
2: That was a very... Um... I don't know. That broke up really easily. That ship.
0: <laughs> <It's very laughs> it did seem like it yeah. hit
2: very hard, and then it just like completely uh, burst apart.
1: Must have hit a very fragile point, or, or maybe the um, tech workers on his ship on the other end weren't very good and just didn't weld it together very well.
2: Yeah, but he he didn't die, right?
0: I don't believe so.
3: Yeah, because
1: I think uh, other, yeah. They said all the cargo was lost. Maybe, you know, exposed to vacuum of space, but maybe his pilotary got sealed off and he was okay. Yeah,
2: yes, I was
0: just, we, okay.
2: And, no, I was just like, the, I just, the CGI was, uh, was a little rough for me, but
0: okay. As yes, we see some rescue workers go into the docking bay, they get two people out, but unfortunately one of them's dead and he happens to be Delvientos' brother. As Jakar is taking part in a religious ceremony, Natath interrupts him and tells him about the cargo ship crashed. The entire cargo bay was destroyed. And
2: wait, wait, wait. wait. We need to talk about the fact that Jakar took the candles from believers <laughs> and put them behind him. <laughs> and that was amazing. I was like, oh my god, it's a the candle. They're being recycled. Yeah. They didn't need well, them anymore. Yeah, there must be
1: everlasting candles as well
2: because they're <laughs>
1: still burning
0: away.
2: Yeah. And he was kind of singing, which which is good, because he has that nice voice.
0: I guess or sing-songy. Was... Yeah, I guess it was the lighting, but he looked kind of sinister during that scene. Well,
2: of... and he had a hood on, too.
1: Yeah. Hmm. He always, always kind of feels slightly sinister in the red background of the Darn Chambers.
2: Mm-hmm. That's true. And the Toth is back, so that's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure you and Heidi... Ah, uh, shame we can't hear from Heidi, but both of you were uh, pleased at the mention of religion.
2: Yes, but I will get into that a little bit later.
1: Yeah, we get more of it later. Yeah, However...
2: I was actually surprised, though, because Jakar never struck me as particularly religious, um, or observant, anyways, so this was a surprise.
1: Yeah. An awful lot of people as well seem to mistake the name of what he wants um, it's kind of hard to hear exactly it, that it's a Jaquan eth, not egg but some people have made that mistake in the past
2: Oh <laughs> <laughs> No, not two eggs in three episodes it's a
1: great yeah. egg. No, it's an eth, Some sort of plant, isn't it? Yeah,
2: A flower or something
0: uh, The Jaquan eth was destroyed and this seems to greatly upset Jakar
3: Yes
0: and next, they're having a meeting about the accident. Jakar, Ivanova Sinclair, and Neoma Connolly, who is played by Katie Boyer, who's been in a lot of things like X-Files, The Next Generation, Angel, Millennium. I think she was kind of miscast for this part. I didn't like her in this episode. Did you say
2: she was an angel?
0: Yes, yeah, she was an angel. When did
2: she play an angel?
0: I didn't write it down. I just... Oh.
2: Yeah. Go try
0: and do me check her, Will, I think. You need to go and do t- yes. that. Um, well,
2: yeah, I agree that she she wasn't stellar in this role.
1: You didn't really believe her, did you?
2: No. And it was funny, like, you, they, they introduced her by her pounding fists very slowly. Like, she was pounding her fists like, really dramatically, but in a very, like, weirdly slow way. And I was it's, like, okay, this is weird. Yeah,
1: it's, I think it's meant to be, I'm a hard ass and you're going to believe what I'm telling you.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, Angel, she played Paige Anderson in the episode I've got you under my skin.
2: Oh, she was the mother.
0: Uh, I guess I I've never seen Angel.
2: Oh, that was the episode where that boy was possessed by the demon or whatever. And anyways,
0: uh, she was on Boardwalk Empire and she played attendant woman in two episodes of Millennium.
1: <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um. But you do get some good information in this scene, anyway
0: yeah um she's the labor leader and she's been complaining for a while that their equipment isn't up to snuff uh, Sinclair kind of thinks the malfunction could have been an operator error Jakar is upset about what happened to his cargo wants to know what happens and everybody's kind of throwing blame around and Jakar demands that they're go- you know says that they're going to be compensated and leaves but when Garibaldi arrives he informs him that the malfunction was caused by equipment failure and they talk some more they're going to have to send traffic to other docking bays for a while
2: i like that jakar was even though he was really upset and he was making it about him at first you know he was a little abashed when she mentioned that you know somebody died and he kind of i liked how he sort of was like okay you know i'm sorry and you know he wasn't just being a here
1: well i think it ties in with the fact that you know, he's much more focused on the Chakranath in this episode. It's more of a spiritual side of him. And as it's not a um, political or military matter, I suppose, he's kind of in that religious mind frame of, OK, let's be conciliatory here. Um, to, a a point, know, and to a point. then <laughs> a well, Lando's always someone slightly different. Yeah. He, he's always the exception for Lund- uh, Jakar. Yeah. No, I'm going to
2: just say it right now, though. I'm Team Narn. <laughs> uh, I'm not Team Centauri. So, if, if there's any clash between the Narn and the Centauri, I'm on Team Narn.
1: Yeah, um, but the other bit we get in this that we got dock workers here, we've got, uh, you know, a guild and guild representation, and you've got. You know all the conflicts you know in a sort of station like this that you would get in modern day airports or you know on the docks at, um you know where when ships come in and stuff you still got that sort of thing going on
3: mm-hmm.
0: oh yeah, we also see that know Sinclair has been trying to get the center to increase the budget for a while and he then gets a call from Senator Hidoshi about the budget.
2: Does anybody know what is what city he's supposed to be in? Senator?
0: Um. Oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, it will be mentioned later. It's not much of a spoiler, but I, I don't think we should go into it now because um, it is something that is mentioned later down the road where um, he's calling from. Okay. Uh, it's not a thing you need to really worry about right now, but your answer will be met.
2: Okay.
0: Jakar is trying to find another Jaquan, F and Londor arrives. He's heard about what's happening and offers his help to Jakar and walks off. Kind of like how he says, is there anything I could do? And Jakar's like, no.
1: <laughs> so It's it's always a good scene when you've got Londo and Jakar. You, they're always uh, bound to be sparks flying.
0: Natath arrives. There's no way they can get another Jaquan F delivered in time, but there's one being on the station who has one and that's Lando. And we see Londo wave as he's getting on the elevator. Oh, yeah. Funny. <laughs> I like how Natath said being, not person.
1: <laughs> yeah. As if, you know, even she doesn't like Londo. It's kind of, I'm not even going to dignify him by calling him a person. It's a being.
2: <laughs> yeah. I have to say that flower that he was smelling looks so fake. I was like, <laughs> why does he keep smelling that fake flower?
0: <laughs> Sinclair and Garibaldi are speaking to Senator Hidoshi. They might be able to get some of the money they requested if the president can turn things around back home. Uh, Sinclair brings up the safety concerns but the senator thinks that their budget is enough. They can run Babylon 5 safely, he's confident they can make it work. Uh, Sinclair... Uh,
1: uh, uh, Sorry, I was going to say, I don't think those are his his exact words. It says, I have been informed that it's in there. But then he actually aims that statement and starts another by saying, I'm sure you can make it work. A politician always choosing his words carefully and perhaps trying to give a message to Sinclair here that, okay, right. The Senate says, you've got enough money. The specialists that are informing the Senate and informing me say, you've got enough money. But rather than saying, but I can think you can make it work, he just adds it as an additional sentence. And maybe that sparks Sinclair thinking about reallocation of the budget later on. Hmm. Just given what he says at the end of the episode.
3: Yeah.
0: So Sinclair knows that they're not going to be happy with this. He's going to set up some meetings. Uh, the dock workers didn't get any more money in the new budget. Cause in the government eyes, they're bound to a contract and they can't quit and they can't go on strike. Ivanova tells him that the dock workers are calling in sick and Garibaldi says this must be the blue flu for people to you know, pretend to be sick. And this means that they have an illegal strike on their hands.
2: And then there was a very dramatic music.
0: Okay. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> Yeah, I, I, it, this scene is just one example of Garibaldi being in the right place at the right time. mean, uh, he just seems to be able to do it. I mean, here he's listening to the budget with Sinclair and then he's able to inform Sinclair and Ivanova, oh, it's blue flu. And then later on, he just happens to walk in at just the right moment.
2: What do you mean? When?
1: After uh, when the reporter and Lando and Jakar are leaving, he just happens to walk in at just the right time to hear, you know, get the confirmation of the uh, Lushak from the Senate. He didn't have to walk in at that time. Yeah. He could have been elsewhere on the station doing his duties, but he happens to walk in and just so happens to get the um, message through at just that time.
0: Well, his friend from last week was the same way. Maybe they learned it from the same person. The ability to be <laughs> in the right place at the right time. Yeah. So next we see a lot of ships waiting to dock and they go to a gathering of the dock workers and they're airing all their grievances and they call for a strike. But kind of at this point, she's telling them to knock it off. She doesn't want to hear the word strike and wants everybody to keep a cool head. Garibaldi comes to take her to Sinclair. She says she's been busy, tied up with a lot of sick workers. And she's surprised that blue collar Garibaldi doesn't understand where they're coming from but he says he doesn't think it's the right way to do things but in the end she goes with garibaldi who thinks that the dock workers are looking for a fight
2: yeah um this was okay i just always hate scenes with a bunch of extras that are supposed to be shouting and stuff because it always looks so awkward yeah <laughs> and especially when they have to do like violent sort of things then it looks really awkward but um and then she was also a little off like I don't know if it was the editing or the way she was speaking. It was just so, I don't know. It just didn't seem to flow well or something.
0: Yeah, that's why I thought she may have been like miscast. I mean, sure yeah, she yeah. Was, wasn't as bad as Takashima, but it's just off.
1: I think it could have worked better if you had Dalvianto as um, kind of in this role. Yeah. Or Talia. Yeah, it- <laughs>
2: Yeah,
1: yeah,
3: maybe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding.
2: Lots of talking.
0: <laughs> no. Next, <laughs> Next and Claire and company are speaking with Connolly. He's asking them to go back to work so the Labour committee won't have to get involved because they could invoke the Rush Act, which at JMS did name this after Rush Limbaugh.
2: Oh really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah she doesn't think they would invoke the rush hat because it would turn public opinion against them. But Sinclair says, things are changing on Earth and not all for the best. And they argue some more. She won't recommend that the workers go back to work unless they get something in return. And Ivanova calls and lets Sinclair know that he has another call from Hidoshi. Like, oh, I-, I
2: figured something out. Remember a couple weeks ago when I was asking, like, when you go to your communicator on your, uh, on your hand or whatever, and yeah. you start talking like who does that go to when like somebody's on screen and they're getting a call on their communicator it beeps first and they have to press you know to answer it but when they're calling somebody it just seems to go straight through so i think it's at the expedience of the story
0: <laughs> yeah and there's uh, yeah. there one point in the episode where i thought hidoshi just popped up on his screen so i had to rewind it and then i Saw that he said yes before. Oh,
2: yes, I noticed that too. <laughs> they said yes for every single call that came in. So that was pretty consistent.
1: Although, Kadoshi popped up pretty quickly. Uh, he, he, even if he was on standby, he must have been waiting a while.
2: That's true. He was just sitting there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: We see Londo's in his quarter. He arrives at his quarters and Jakar is there waiting for him. Jakar wants to purchase the Jaquan F. Lando says it's in a safe place, he's been saving it for a special occasion. He likes the effect that it has when you put it in alcohol and thinks it's a shame that the Narns use it as incense. You know, Jakar gets mad and demands to know Lando's price. Lando asks for 50,000 credits in cash. Jakar says, outrage. Lando uh-huh. agrees but wants to know how important it is your religious ceremony to you. Fun scene i guess between these two
1: yeah and raises well not raises just references an interesting point that some things are holy to one person and insignificant and means nothing to another yeah i mean how much of what lando was saying did he really mean though i think most of it was really just meant to wind your car up for sure uh, yeah, he wouldn't necessarily use the seeds in a drink. It's, he's just saying it to, yeah, get a rise out of Jakar.
2: Well, okay, so if I'm remembering correctly, the Centauri were colonized the Narn, right? For, like, a long time. Right. And then the Centauri sort of declined in power. And then very recently, the Narns took over Ragash Three, which used to be a Narn colony. Um... And then the Centauri were there?
1: Yeah, I think during the Centauri occupation, they took over Rag 3 and then when they left Narn, they kept Rag 3 and must have been holding on to it for a while, and you know. Right. And then, what's it, however many months ago now, um, the Narns took it back. Okay.
2: Because they seem to bring up Rag 3 a lot. Right. this is at least the third or maybe fourth time they've brought it up so far. I mean, throughout this series so far.
0: Yeah, it just recently happened.
1: Yeah, and it was a recent fairly big event, you know, as far as political borders go, you know, so uh, people are going to remember it. Mm -hmm. And it's very personal for Londo, as he uh, says later, you know, it's not just a political thing. This was a personal thing for him.
2: Mhm. Yeah, his nephew. Is a nephew, right?
0: Yeah. Right,
1: his nephew.
0: Next we see Oren Zinto arrive, and I think I missed the skip the part where they mentioned him and Sinclair seemed to know who he was. He
2: was the worst. This this actor was terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, and even as a character he's awful. I mean, He's just so smiley and he's an awful negotiator because yeah. he always thinks he can get his own way and he's then goes up in a hump when he doesn't. But
0: Yeah. He- uh, this Orton Zinto is played by John Snyder. He was Soul Hunter number two. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but outside of makeup, I saw him and I know he looked like very familiar, but I couldn't place him. But I think where I know him from is from a... Star Trek the next generation episode called the masterpiece society he was collecting valuable objects so he kidnapped data for his collection
2: yeah he had I mean it was just the whole look was just terrible like the the hair with the eyebrows and that horrible suit that horrible gray suit oh god that was awful and
0: yeah. then he
2: was just it was everything with him was so dramatic he was like yes it was like he was a general at war
0: he got upset he was just just, yeah yeah, way over the top yeah i think
1: and i can only think that as i said earlier he's got connections in the senate and kind of yeah that's the only reason he's got his position is because he knows people but he's the worst person to send in him,
2: I but they they said that he had been effective in negotiations with uh, on other stations, didn't they?
0: Yeah, it made it seem like he was one of the uh, best look, negotiators. Yeah. You know yeah.
2: I,
1: I don't see how.
2: I don't know. That's a, <laughs> it's a mystery. I mean, he must have just immediately arrested everybody and replaced them. That's the only thing I could think.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, even from the start, he comes in saying he's on a schedule and. Wants
2: it all
0: to be over and done by by breakfast next like morning to so go on to his next thing.
3: <laughs> busy strike schedule.
0: Busting strikes, gotta go. <laughs> Zento wants to meet with Connolly and then with Garibaldi in case the rush act needs to be enacted. At what point were you pretty sure that they were actually going to invoke the rush act? As much as they kept mentioning it, it kind of seemed like they had to do it.
2: Yeah, but. At first, they weren't really clear. I mean, you got the gist of what it meant. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit mysterious at first, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I and I, I was like, am I supposed to know what this means? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> am I supposed to have heard this before and I don't?
0: So, Hidoshi speaking with Sinclair about the strike says that it sets a bad president's and Well, I have no idea what this sentence means. <laughs> Um, but he wants full cooperation of Babylon 5, including providing troops if the Rush Act is enacted.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I made a note, I don't know if it's in this one or the early one, but Sinclair keeps on trying to make a certain point, but keeps on getting talked over throughout this episode. Yeah. As if he's already come up with his solution, but no one's going to listen to him until, you know, things get desperate.
2: Yeah, and there's okay. So there's a thousand dock workers, and I'm imagining very, very small percentage of that against the you know security makes up a very small percentage against the thousand of dock workers. So that would have been tough. And I, I don't know if they have a brig big enough for a thousand dock workers, but um, what? Now the the sticks that they're carrying, the security is that, those are like cattle prod type things.
1: Later on in the episode, yeah, they look yeah. like it, anyway.
2: I'm just thinking, like logistically, what how they were gonna do this. You know, if a thousand dock workers striked, struck, <laughs> um, how? Yeah, and each,
1: they... especially each of them's carrying a random bit of piping or yeah, a wrench or something. It's just yeah, it's just okay. You're meant to be a dockers' rabble here, have some random props.
2: Yeah, yeah. So logistically, I don't know that that it would would have been possible.
0: Oh. But... Uh... Uh, back in Londo's quarters, Jakar calls Londo because he has some money, but Londo has changed his mind. The plant isn't for sale. He says this is just a tiny piece of revenge for what the Narn did to Ragash 3 and to Londo's nephew.
2: Yeah, I was annoyed with Londo.
0: Next we switch to Jakar's quarters and he's furious and he's gonna kill Londo with his bare hands and Sinclair can only throw him off the station and might even thank him. So he's talking to Natoth and we find out that Natal's father had a different belief and she only really believes in herself But Jakar says we all believe in something even if it's just chance He has one last thing he's gonna try to do to get a Jaquan F But he hates having to do it and it's something that he wants Natal to take care of
1: Well something he wants something else for Natal to to take care of Yeah uh, If this one other thing fails um, yeah, this is a really nice little scene. I mean, the core of it really starts when he's in the rage and then pauses and stops and calms himself just as he's about to, you know, bash the, his holy book and he stops himself from doing that. The rage that you've seen Jakar go into in the past, it just stops and he's quiet and calm
3: mm-hmm.
2: as he
1: looks at this book. It's nicely played.
2: Yeah, I I have to say, though, I felt like we got... We didn't really... St- I still don't understand what he believes in. Um, I get a sense of some of the rituals he performs, and I get a, a very generic sense, I guess, from Wando, that it, the god or whatever that he worships is a, the sun god or something. But I don't know what that means to him. I don't know
1: what... That he, he says, means- yeah, he's, he calls his holy book the Book of Jaquan at one point, and he also mentions Jaquan Mountains or something like that, I'm sure. So there's something to do with that. And Natoth's father followed the teachings of Jalan. So already there you've got two separate, you know, religious beliefs.
2: Right, but... Um, we know nothing about what that means like does that mean that they believe that after they that they have souls is that you know so i really hope that we get more information like at this point all i know is the names of certain gods i guess on uh narn gods and then some of the rituals that they perform but i know nothing about if they believe in an afterlife or you know how they believe their race fits into the scheme of things and so i hope we find out more about that
1: yeah but you also it's it's kind of rare that you also see that not all nuns you know believe there are atheist nans, like uh, right, her yes. mother mm-hmm. and it seems whilst the isn't completely an atheist like her mother she still doesn't have any defined belief. so you've got agnosticism there and it's very rare to see that
2: she seemed pretty atheist to me, but.
1: Um. Well, she, in in what she says, she she said she believes in herself and Child uh, favors the warrior, but from the sounds of it, the way she talked about it, it she just said it in one line. Uh, but her mother didn't believe in anything, as in you know. Whereas Natoth is not the sort of person to have this conversation, as much as we've known of her so far. Anyway, um, her mother might have, You know, there's different types of people who don't believe that. As I said, I think maybe Natoth is more towards the agnostic end, or at least in terms of none that she hasn't thought about this. She's a warrior. Whereas her mother might have thought about it and actually reached a decision. But I suppose you can read anything into that single statement. It's. <laughs>
2: And it's a very personal reading of it, I suppose. Yeah, no, I mean, she wasn't, like, specific, so...
0: Yeah. So next we see Orin Zinto talking to the dock workers. He explains they're not being singled out, and everyone understands how they feel, but Earth has to cut costs. It's like, I know how you feel, but, you know... Uh, Connolly points out that the government somehow found money to increase military spending, but Zinto counters that, B-5 is a military station, so they're kind of airing their grievances, with Zinto reminds him that they did sign a contract. For some more discussion, they can't come to any agreement, so Zinto says that they have no choice but to enact the Rush Act, but Sinclair jumps That's in. That's
1: in a different scene, isn't it?
0: No, I think it's the Oh,
1: he keeps on threatening yeah. every, every scene he's in.
0: Yeah. But Sinclair jumps in and suggests that they have a recess before any kind of decision is made hoping they'll make more progress the next day.
2: And this look. is where Sinclair's starting to look more unkempt. I think, <laughs> he has his 5 o'clock shadow starting
1: yeah, you know? it, so he,
2: it's, it's, which he it, normally doesn't.
1: Huh, even his uniforms actually look creased and mm-hmm. battered.
0: Yeah. yeah and uh,
1: uh, colony, colony here though shows that yeah, why did if she's meant to be this experienced, you know, Docker's representative and learnt about, you know, because of a uh, history with her father, why didn't she get that agreement with the previous representative signed? Uh, that seems like an, you know, a stupid mistake to have made.
2: Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
1: she really should have got it signed. There wouldn't be an issue now.
2: Yeah.
0: So, as we see a sleepy Sinclair in his quarters, he gets a call from angry Zinto. (laughs) And, like, hope out, Zinto. Uh, Mm -hmm. The dock workers have dropped their blue flu story and have officially gone on strike, and Zinto thinks Sinclair is responsible, and he's going to invoke the rush act if currently continues the way that she's going. And as Jakar contacts Sinclair and wants to meet him on an urgent matter, Sinclair goes to the council chambers where Jakar explains the situation with Londo. The ceremony must take place at a certain time each year with the new planet. He feels it's his responsibility to provide for all the all of his people on the station. Sinclair promises to do what he can.
2: I feel bad for Sinclair here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. come on, children, leave him alone.
0: <laughs> I was thinking it was interesting that Jakar kind of felt responsible for you know to provide for everybody that follows his belief on the station
2: it's interesting because Londo basically said that that Jakar is doing it just for show yeah and I don't know I mean it's hard to tell because I think this is the first time we've heard anything about Jakar's spirituality or his following of a religion um and Yes, in private, he did do what he needed to do, ritual-wise. Um, so I, I'm, I i can't really decide one way or the other. Um, you know, does Londo have a point? Or does Jakar really, you know, believe?
0: Yeah, they kind of leave it up in the air. In Londo's quarters, he, uh, Sinclair asked Londo to sell the Jaquan F to Jakar, but Londo is not going to do it. I noticed in this scene he called... Sinclair is very good friends and call everybody that.
2: Oh, yeah, this the scene where he's wearing that horrible uh, robe.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I got yeah. it in my notes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrendous. I put horrendous robe in my notes.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of think, you know, they got that from costuming, and even the director thought, well, we got it. All right. I've got to re- reorganize this scene. Okay, right. You two just sit at the table having conversation there, and we'll. Don't move.
0: Don't move. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Lando thinks Jakar is just trying to save face, and Lando would rather burn the plate to give it to Jakar. Uh, Sinclair leaves and gives Jakar the bad news, and then he gets a call from Ivanova about the meeting beginning. And when Sinclair leaves, Jakar tells Natal to proceed. Yeah. Next, Zento is meeting with Connolly. You can see Sinclair off in the background. He's really tired.
2: His jacket is like partially open too. <laughs> he was just going down the yeah. drain.
0: So after they argue, some more Zento invokes the Rush Act.
2: Sinc- oh wait, so is this where she mentions New California?
0: Yeah,
1: I don't think so.
2: What the heck is New California?
1: <laughs> I
2: want to know what that is. Okay, hopefully we find out. Cause didn't, um, Hidoshi mentioned new, um, new something? Um, another city. He mentioned new something uh, when I he was talking remember. at the end. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, but also, um, commonly mentions that there's money calling me on Europa. Mm-hmm.
0: And Sinclair urges Connelly to end the strike, but she's not gonna do it. Action X and C and C, Ivanova explaining to a ship that they can't dock because all the Docking bays are full, and in March is our favorite ISN reporter, <laughs> Marianne Kramer with Sinclair. She's trying to get news out of him. I we, was
2: surprised to see her.
0: Yeah, has she been on Babylon Five all this time? Probably not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. Yes, mommy reporter back again. And she,
0: she, <laughs> she <laughs> <it was> hair.
1: <laughs> she even does the uh, report later on. Um, I think that's her voice we hear uh, over the PA system, um. anyway.
2: Oh yeah, it must be. Yeah. Because it confused me at first.
1: Uh, Yeah, so maybe the reports she did of of Babylon 5 didn't go down as well as she had hoped and she'd been demoted to permanent (laughs) Babylon 5 correspondent. Been banished.
2: I like to think that because since (laughs) since the docking is all backed up, there's no way she would have been able to find out about what happened and get on the station in time. (laughs) (laughs) So in my head canon, yes, she's been there the whole time.
0: Uh, Sinclair doesn't have any comment. Jakar and Londo enter and they're arguing. Apparently the statue of a Centauri god has been stolen and Londo wants Sinclair to do something about it. And so where you see Marianne Kramer recording this whole thing, she's got her little recorder out. Sinclair is fed up and orders everyone out and orders Ivanova to escort all unauthorized personnel out.
2: There was actually some kind of some funny gestures going on in the background between Sinclair and Ivanova. And even the lady that was like huddled in the back corner was
1: making some gestures
2: behind Longo well, and Jakar.
1: Wasn't that Clara in the back?
2: Uh, no. 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 no,
0: it wasn't.
2: That. I don't remember if Clara was in the scene or not, but. I sh- uh, yeah,
0: because. Sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Oh, after Ivanova gets everybody out, uh, Clara was the one who tells Sinclair that he's got another call for Oh. Sandra, though she won't stop calling.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take no for an answer, <laughs> Come on, stop being a stalker.
0: Senator Saint Sinclair should handle it the way he thinks is best, but Cinto has convinced most of the Senate otherwise, and the Senate has invoked the Rush Act. So it's finally been invoked, invoked, even though they've been talking about it.
2: The Senate are on the ball, I have to say. Wow, <laughs> they meet and vote really quickly. Yeah. Nothing like our Senate <laughs> in the U.S., are you?
1: Yeah, well made well, maybe you know um they had to meet uh, to confirm the what's in the budget, and so there were perhaps there were enough people enough senators still milling around for them to put a vote through on the rush act, and you know it's kind of they're kind of like right, if we get this vote done now, we won't have to come back tomorrow, so everyone yeah. in, get the vote done and we can go home
2: yeah
0: Sinclair is ordered to move in with troops. Hidoshi thinks that some of the sinners are hope- Senators are hoping that everything will end in violence. Did I say sinners?
3: <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> didn't
0: slip that. So Sinclair orders Garibaldi to put his team on alert, and then he asks Ivanova for the full text of the Senate order. I hmm, wonder what he's up to. Yeah,
2: you're gonna pull something
0: out. Yeah. So we see Garibaldi getting his people ready, and we see some of the Dock workers. I have a typo in our rogue workers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different episode. <laughs> so we see Garibaldi's people getting ready, and we see some of the dock workers getting news of the Rush Act. Is this where the report was?
1: Yeah. Because yeah. um, yeah. Conley comes in and says, shut that thing off. It's as if there's a news report in the background, and I'm sure it's uh, that reporter giving the. Read-
0: doing it just
2: manually over the entire ship because I think they cut to a different location and everybody heard it
0: yeah so Garibaldi and his team go to place the dock workers under arrest and a fight breaks out something about the way this fight happened the way the two sides came together kind of reminded me of like a comic book fight where the one side where both sides just come together and then they meet
1: Oh, the opening of the X-Men cartoon from
0: the early yeah, 90s. Yeah, that one. <laughs>
1: uh, um, and it's poorly edited as well, because I thought there was something off about it, so I went back over it, and they, at one point, there's two Garibaldis. Uh-uh. Really.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, one I of just... them's grabbing um, Connolly and dragging her away, and the other one's in the midst of the fight, swinging at random dock workers.
2: Excellent.
0: I'll have to go watch that again. Nice. So yeah, Garibaldi grabs Connolly and gets right of there, and Sinclair and Zento arrive, and they go into the docking bay while Garibaldi's men leave, and Sinclair that explains that under the Rush Act, he can use any means necessary to end the strike. So what he chooses to do is he reallocates some of B5's military budget to begin upgrades and start hiring more workers. And he declares amnesty for anybody that committed a crime.
2: And once again, Sinclair's gestures uh, make me very happy <laughs> because <laughs> he puts the one and the two up near his chin. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, don't disappoint me. Well, I, I think, it.
1: yeah, it, it's that style of acting because you see it in early um, Doctor 2 with um, Hartnell, who plays First Doctor, and. He his thing was always to use his hands and always to make sure, you know, his hands were in the screen somewhere for some acting reason and so I'm sure Michael O'Hair's of the same school, you know
2: Hand acting. Matt
0: yeah. Smith Matt Smith is kinda of that way too, wasn't he? They kinda of made a joke about that, didn't he? Yeah,
1: it's definitely in the um fiftieth special, I think um John Hurt has a line about it.
0: Um
2: I just have a note that says Oren's
0: face. I don't know what that means. His face was... Yeah, that's the worst face in this episode.
1: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, I wanted a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: gonna do a rest everybody. Sinclair <laughs> so points out that he couldn't have done this if the rush act hadn't been evoked. Ooh. Burn. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> so the dock workers agree to everything and all is good, but Zinto promises that Sinclair won't get away with it and leaves. Garibaldi urges Sinclair to go get some sleep, and, but at this point Ivanova calls Sinclair and tells him that Jakar and Londa are half an inch away from killing each other. Grumpy Sinclair goes to the council <laughs> chambers and <laughs> <laughs> uh, he orders Jakar to return the statue. Uh, he's got another clever little solution he explains that the Jaquan F is a controlled substance, making it illegal to own except for certain medical and religious purposes. Solando reluctantly agrees, agrees to give up the plan because he's already gotten his amusement out of it. Uh, Jakar is upset because it's too late to perform the ceremony, but Sinclair has another loophole <laughs> and all are happy. And Sinclair is a Jesuit. He mentioned he had Jesuit yeah. teachers.
1: Yeah, he mentions that again here. And um, his solution as well is interesting because um, when religious religion meets space exploration or any sort of human advancement, it always seems to be the last to adapt. You've got a little example of this here um, because yeah, yeah that's, so no one's thought of Sinclair's solution up until now, even though Nuns have been in space for some time, it seems. And yeah, he was uh, saying
2: that it's like okay, they they're like twelve light years away, and twelve then, narn,
1: yeah, or ten narn light years or something like that. Ten Nar- uh, but
2: okay, so but it, what was it the same sun that, the same sunlight that that his fellow Narnians in Narnia <laughs> were, were were doing that, or was it like from ten years ago? 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah, right. like. I
1: think he was saying the same light that hit the mountain 10, 9 light years ago will be reaching the station,
2: Okay. you know,
1: in a couple of days.
2: And he seemed fine with that, apparently. So, so
1: apparently, yeah, as long as the light hits the mountains at a certain point in time, and apparently that is still okay. Um, yeah, because something recent, Uh, there was a this recent thing, um... About um, some Islamic um, ruling, um, I think regarding um, travel to Mars and um, oh. you know occupation of Mars. Basically, I'm not sure of the details, but it basically came down to a, some of the religious leaders making a ruling on something within the you know the Quran saying. That you know, and their interpretation of it was that you know n- no one who follows the teachings can truly settle on Mars because of some passage in the Quran
2: hmm. yeah it's like it's things like this, and i don 't think necessarily that it was meant to to be this way, but it almost highlights the arbitrariness of religious rituals and rules, you know um, having the same. Sunlight that would have hit a certain mountain. Maybe I don't know if the the station is pointing the same way as the mountain, or I mean, ten darn light years ago, be okay, but nothing else was okay. It just, it just to me, it's like it just highlights some of the nitpicky arbitrariness of you know some religious rituals.
1: Yeah, it can, do, but uh, at the same time, in the later scene. The, um, religious ceremony isn't taking place looking out of the window. It's facing a, another direction. So it, it might be, again, they have to face the mountain when they perform the ritual. But considering the station isn't necessarily facing the mountain, but the sunlight will, that once hit the mountain will hit the station. They've got to face the same way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> So, uh, next Sinclair arrives in his quarters and to go to sleep but he gets a call from Hidoshi and the, sen- <laughs> the Senate has let Sinclair's decision stand even though they don't like it he admires what Sinclair did but warns him that he's embarrassed Gordon powerful friends and he should watch things very closely very ominous
2: yeah I can't figure out what's going to happen other than maybe Sinclair losing his job
1: well, this isn't the first time he's, um, you know, had trouble. Like as um, he actually said, "Oh, what's new?" Uh, he thinks is right. just something else the mm-hmm. Senate can add to their list of reasons why they don't like him, and <laughs> they do seem to be piling up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's finally, we get to see Jakar perform his ceremony, and that's the end of the episode.
2: And it kind of yeah. ended in a different way too. It was kind of like carrying the sounds of the ceremony over the some of the credits. It's yeah. Kind
0: of a um, little
2: bit different.
1: Yeah, and you notice there was a group of narns there, but the impression I definitely got was this is nowhere near the amount of narns currently on the station. So it is just a portion of the you, you know, portion of the narns there that follow these practices that uh, um Jakar does.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't get one impression one way or the other about how many Narns are there.
1: It did see, it, I didn't count them, but it only seemed like there were maybe six or seven other Narns with him.
2: Oh, no, I just mean Narns on the station. Like, I, oh, right. I would have no idea how many there would be.
1: Well, I'm just assuming that because Narns, the Narns are one of the main five races. They're not amongst the other minor uh, ones in the rest of the um, council. Right, right.
0: Okay. Well, nearly all of the production crew appeared in this episode at some point. The guy who says, yells out, I say we strike. That was Jim Johnston who directed the episode. <laughs> that might explain why some of the, you know, extras or whatever seem kind of, you know, not so I don't know. great.
2: Extras are terrible in general, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I've been an extra before. So.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, me not too. And it was in bit. one of those stupid scenes where you had to be angry at a crowd.
0: <laughs> oh wow. I was a wedding guest. I had to dance and be happy and everything.
2: Oh my gosh. And they probably didn't even have music on, right?
0: Actually, they did have music. Oh, they did on. have yeah. music? So, oh, you were lucky then. that. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: well, actually, when was this? When did you have to do Because if, if it was only a few years ago, you could have done the drunken giraffe from Doctor Who and got away with
0: it. Oh, uh, yeah. This was um, <laughs> a couple years ago, I think. Yeah. So I how. Don't
2: know the drunken giraffe is, but I now don't. I want to know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, it's the
1: um, dance um, the Doctor does in Amy and Rory's wedding, and then again on his, in his last episode, it's the one where he uh, puts his arms across his head, waves them around, and stag is about.
0: <laughs> Let's see, how about some quotes of the week?
2: Okay, um, I'll start with Jakar. Why does the universe hate me? Yeah.
0: <sighs> I'll do one, uh, Sinclair. You should never hand someone a gun unless you're sure where they will point it. Your mistake.
1: Huh. Um Yeah, I'll read something which is far better on screen than I'm going to read out. But uh, on screen, it was just nice. Lieutenant Commander, in ten seconds, escort any unauthorized persons to the brig and lead them there. Then Ivanova. Yes, sir. Ten, nine, <laughs> eight, seven, six. Five, four, three, and Garibaldi, two, one, what? What did I miss? <laughs>
2: that was a good scene.
1: Yeah. It doesn't really come across well in quotes, but, yeah, if he reminds you at all of that scene, I've done my job.
2: <laughs> um, I have one. It's Ivanova. Commander, we've got a problem. Sinclair, surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: actually, Connolly actually had something. Um, She had... I don't care if they've agreed to wear bunny suits and sing the Hallelujah cure. <laughs>
3: of
0: course. Um, the only other one I have was Jakar Commander. You're a far more spiritual man than I gave you credit for in Sinclair. There are a couple of Jesuit teachers I know who might disagree with you.
2: Where's the Len?
0: Oh. yeah. Hey, we haven't seen Talia in a while. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but yeah,
2: yeah. So do we know if this was? aired in the same order it was filmed or if this also was all over the place in terms of when it was filmed
0: mm, i don't know
2: okay yeah no Delenn. I'm, I'm very curious it's like they we've, we've revealed that whole thing about he him remembering what happened or part of what happened and then she leaves and she's back for like two seconds <laughs> to talk to the um the Libers, and then um she's gone again
0: she's avoiding him
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Too bad. Hopefully next week. So, how about our characters of the week? Uh, Who's human of the week?
1: (laughs) It kind of has to be Sinclair, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. He he went through a lot this episode, and you know, would it be fair to give it to him because he went through all that trouble growing, you know, five o'clock shadow and everything?
2: Yeah. No, I, I liked him in this episode.
1: Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, he managed to work things out and do his job quite well. You know, he's meant to be the governor
0: of this station.
2: Yeah, who, who knows for how long now?
0: <laughs> so, how about alien of the week?
2: I have to go with Jakar. I
0: have to yeah. go with Jakar too. All right, Jakar. Gosh, Sinclair's gonna
2: Sinclair's sweeping the first season he's so win far. The
0: season, yeah.
2: Well, not sweeping, but he's definitely. I know. I he's had it at least. What, five times?
0: One, two, three, four, five. Yeah.
1: Yep. The cast seems to be doing pretty well as Alien as well, doesn't
0: he? He's at three. All right, how about some episode ratings? No guess. How about you, Elizabeth? You want to give your rating?
2: Well, hmm. Okay. I have to say that um, these last three episodes have been a little bit disappointing. No, not a little bit. They've been disappointing for me. I feel like it kind of the show kind of started kind of getting into the nitty gritty or the, the meaty stuff with the home guard and what happened to Sinclair. And then all of a sudden we had, you know, believe believers. I won't call it believers. It's always believers and survivors. And then now this one was, I like that it was dealing with things like the strike and how, because um when I watched Babel, uh Battlestar Galactica, this type of episode didn't come in until way later. In the, in the series.
1: Yeah, and you're always wondering... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm,
2: I'm tr- I have trouble with Battlestar Galactica titles, but, I mean, they'd had this, a similar situation in that show, and it, it took a while to get there. And here at least they're addressing it early, you know, things that you would kind of in the back of your mind think about, you know, what are the workers doing? How do they live? So I'm glad that they did that. It's That's interesting. And I'm glad to know a little bit more about Jakar, but I still feel like I'm just getting a very shallow you know, sense of his beliefs. Um I hated some of the acting in this episode. Um And I felt it was a bit slow, even though there was two pretty substantial plots going on. I still felt it was a bit slow. I think they could have done more with it. Uh So I'm only going to give it a six terrible guest stars out of 10.
0: Alrighty. Uh, how about you, Ian?
1: Yeah, well... I like the fact they've done this episode. I like the fact they're addressing these sorts of issues early on, as you said. And it's it's a bit of world building, I feel. A bit of fleshing out of the fact that this sort of world is still very realistic. The troubles you're dealing with now, they're still dealing with in 200 odd years' time. Maybe the names change and systems slightly change and environments change. But essentially, humanity stays the same. It's not a brilliant episode. It's got a great little B story. The B story, for me, I I like Jakar. You see another side to his character. He's not all bluster. He does have a spiritual side. And it's not all serious as well. It's playful comedy that you get great Jakar and Lando interactions even when they're not on the scene together, their tension just sparks. But it's not a strong episode even said all of that. So I'd say 7 out of 10 rush acts. All 7 right. out of 10, what was that? 7 out of 10? Rush acts.
2: Rush acts?
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, for me, you know, I like the Lando Jakar storyline. had some humor and it was a good... Resolution to the Doc storyline. I didn't mind the storyline. There, yeah, there were some bad acting, and the episode was alright, but not great. I gave it seven out of ten. Blue flues. Hmm. So how about what Heidi. I can read Heidi's thoughts. Yeah. Um I liked half the episode. I enjoyed the Jakar Londo storyline. We got a good look at the differences in non-religion, and that was really nice. I did not like the strike story at all. I didn't care and was very bored by the whole thing. It was very generic and we didn't know any of the characters to really care about them. The episode did give Sinclair a chance to shine and show his cleverness, so I pick him as Human of the Week and Jakar as Alien. I give it 6 out of 10 religious flowers. So, our score for the episode is 6.5. Yeah, that's pretty low.
2: Alright,
0: let's go into feedback first we have an email from michael who wants to read michael's email
2: i'm just pulling it up sorry
1: okay actually if you're pulling it up i'll start it then all right okay here is michael's hi all i wanted to leave some feedback on by any means necessary i'm sure everyone's first thought when they saw the title to this one, was this is definitely going to be about a labour dispute, right? Oh,
2: for sure. Yeah, Heidi and I were just all over that last time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would say that the title is misleading, but certainly not as misleading as some other of the episode titles we've seen. Actually, I really enjoyed this episode every time I see... Sorry. Actually... I really enjoy watching this episode every time I watch it. And I can't believe I messed it up twice, but oh well. (laughs) (laughs) This episode really shows a stark contrast between Babylon 5 and its chief competitor, Star Trek, where Star Trek gives us a utopian future with replicators that give you whatever food you want or need, with no need for money and blah, blah, blah. 5 shows us a future that it can actually might happen. They still have worker rights issues, budgetary problems, etc. Obviously, I won't go into summarising the whole plot, but one of my favourite parts is Sinclair's handling of the Rush Act, which allows him to rebudget some of the station's funds to settle the strike. I hope one of you has the quote, never had someone a gun, unless you're sure what they're going to put it. Yeah, we got that. Yep. yep,
3: Will was that on that. was
1: Will's quote. Overall, one of my favorite episodes of the season, and even the beat plot involving Dakar needing a Quan eh And wouldn't you know it, Londo is the only one who has one.
2: Ooh, wouldn't it have been cool, though, if Kosh was the only one that had one?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a fun aside to the tense situations with dock workers. Human of the week, Sinclair, Alien of the Week, Lando. Specifically because of the capital he gives Jakar right when Jakar finds out he's the only has the only plant of the station
2: That was pretty
1: uh, that little wave as well. Rating eight point five out of ten Jaquaneths. Thanks guys.
2: Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you, Michael. Next email is from Bob DeGran.
2: I will read it. <clears throat> uh, from Bob, I thought this was a terrific episode with quite realistic real-world problems set in the setting of Babylon 5. That the government is a bureaucracy which doesn't react quickly to correct mistakes and claims financial hardship seems right, as does the outrage of the workers and Sinclair being caught in the middle of this, as well as in the middle of the argument between Jakar and Londo. This episode also answers one of the questions that was speculated on, on a previous podcast, that not all Narn have the same religious beliefs. So it is in fact more complicated than each race, than each race believing one thing. Yes, that's true, Bob. I think it's one of my pet peeves. So I'm glad to know. Um, Human of the episode, Sinclair, I can't believe I'm saying this, <laughs> he found two inventive solutions. The resolution of the strike, I saw that one coming when he asked for the full text of the order, but also convincing Jakar that he still had time to perform his ritual. Alien Jacar, both for his taking his religious responsibilities seriously and also for he and Londo being at each other's throats again. They have been getting along entirely too well. <laughs> I would like to see Sinclair's actions come back to bite him in some way. The government seemed to only allow his position to stand because they also thought that their negotiator was a d- <laughs> and didn't mind seeing him be <laughs> humble. <laughs> what were you saying earlier, Will? Workers? <laughs> 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 Maybe in the future they won't be as lenient. Maybe the transfer of funds from the military budget will result in some weapon that they need either not being available or being substandard in the future. Ooh, good call, Bob. That's a good one. Uh, from Bob? Uh, Bob of the Dexter Cast.
0: Hey, thanks, Bob. Okay,
2: Bob.
0: So I'll read the next email is from Victor DeGran. This episode was an allegory about social and economic conditions in modern day labor relations. There's nothing wrong with drawing these parallels from the B5 universe, but it's some, but some of the stereotypes just don't ring true for me. Space is an in- inhospitable environment, and working there can be extremely hazardous. I would expect to see highly trained mission specialists, but instead we find dock rats. Early semi-skilled, blue-collar guys with mustaches and swarthy complexions who look <laughs> like they could be longshoremen circa 1994. In this episode, an accident occurs when Ivanova clears an impatient Narn pilot to dock his ship at a bay where another ship is trying to depart. To begin with, I've never understood why the boss is issuing clearances to arriving and departing ships. That should be the job of one of those nameless technicians while Ivanova deals with her command duties. Yeah. That, yeah. that way she wouldn't do something stupid like running two ships into the same docking bay at the same time. Hey. It was a mechanical her fault. function.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and she did tell the um, pilot, stop. Don't do anything. It was a pilot's fault. <laughs> <laughs> he,
2: Not Arivanova.
1: Yeah.
2: She can't now make he,
1: mistakes. Yeah, no, the pilot didn't know how to fly his own ship.
0: I was an air traffic controller for 20 years, and I cannot imagine my manager trying to issue a clearance to a pilot. Every morning, he would emerge from his office with his cup of coffee in his hand, walk around the entire operations area, say hello to everyone, chat with us, and then disappear back into his (laughs) office not to be seen again until the following morning.
3: Nice.
0: Issuing clearances and dealing with pilot was our job, not his, but I digress. After the docking bay accident, everyone blames everyone else. That did ring true, and it turns out there was an equipment malfunction. B-5 was a government program, so it must have been built by the lowest bidders, and a contractor used substandard computer chips, which probably saved a few credits. The casualties were a dock worker, labor piece, and a flower that Jacquard needed to perform some vitally important Narn holy ritual. Of course, the only such flower in the entire sector belongs to Lando, He spends the entire episode engaged in his favorite pastime, namely tweaking Jakar. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable that Jakar, for such a devoutly religious man, he frequently threatens to kill people with his bare hands. (laughs) There isn't much to take away from this episode, although we learn that although President Santiago is an ally of B5, the Senate owner as a whole is not. Kadoshi isn't a bad guy, but the anti-alien sentiment of the home guard seems to be gaining traction back on Earth. And all the stereotypes seem kind of clunky and manufactured, but I did feel a certain kinship for the dock workers who aren't allowed to go on strike. Been there, done that. So this episode gets seven and a half overworked dock rats out of ten. Regards, Victor.
1: Thank you, Victor.
0: So we have the email uh, from Laurie.
1: And? Uh, yeah, I'll do Lori's. Hello, ambassadors. Uh, sadly, only one of the ambassadors here this week, Laurie. But we'll pass on your love to the other one when Heidi returns. Well, I certainly needed to get in feedback for this one by any means necessary. <laughs> Though email did seem easiest. We get more of Lando and Jakar in this episode, which is even better than usual since they are interacting directly. I love how they play off one another and have great antagonistic chemistry. Once again, an alien religion is addressed, but with a bit more complexity this time, as Heidi and Elizabeth will hopefully have enjoyed. We find out that not all Narns worship the same deity, as Natoth does not worship as Jakar does. Most likely, Londo only had the plant for its properties as a controlled substance, but I think he must have enjoyed almost boiling Jakar. <laughs> Once again, Sinclair's diplomatic skills saved the day, and not for the other crisis as well. The labour dispute was somewhat interesting, and I, I like the way... That the future is portrayed with realistic budget problems needing creative solutions. However, Sinclair must be even more unpopular now with some Earthside politicians. I read in the notes that the Rush Act was named after Rush Limbaugh. Never got that before. Also, they did a great job of making Sinclair look completely exhausted towards the end. Yes, Human I agree. of the Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Human of the episode, Naomi, the woman labor rep, as she was a strong character for a guest. Alien, I will go with Jakar this week, as he gets extra points for standing up to his cult, for his culture. Thanks again, Laurie.
2: Thanks,
0: Laurie.
1: Thanks, Laurie. Thanks,
0: Laurie. Yeah. So we got some. Comments and late comments about the previous two episodes on our website down below podcast.com from 499. The first one is for the episode Believers. You want to take that one, Elizabeth?
2: Sure. I was noticing that you were getting plenty of feedback, but none here. So I thought I might use this venue to say how much I've been enjoying your podcast. Thank you. On Believers, I feel at the point of Londo's talk. (laughs) Sorry. I feel like the point of Lando's talk about money must be that he's fishing for a bribe. This is, if I'm remembering the scene correctly. For some reason, I didn't rush to rewatch the episode to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> but in qualified defense of this and infection, I'll offer the following. 20 years later, such... What is that? Such...
3: Hope-faced.
2: Hope-faced issue of the week. V5 <laughs> does TNG episodic stories are very hard to take. Episodes of this type aren't what make the show worth watching after all this time. But at this time, these episodes may have been an important proof of concept for executives, and even for ordinary viewers. It was important that a viewer could turn on the TV, watch a show they'd never seen before, and grasp what was at stake immediately. Hospital drama cliché, but in space, achieves that, as says the Nazis were wrong, but in space. Anything that over-relied on character ran the risk that the viewer might not stick with it long enough to become invested in the characters. Now that's all very true. Uh, they were only just coming into existence, the things that changed all that. Babylon 5 was, in fact, for me, the very first show where I used online recaps and discussion to bring myself up to speed. I started watching around the middle of the second season. Mild but real spoiler for Survivors, uh, although it has traces of episodic disease, is an instance of the better first season B5 being about a character and his past. I'm looking forward to hearing what you say about it. Thank you. And Much appreciated.
0: Is- yeah. And... For Survivors, he says, I'd have given the, this episode closer to 8 out of 10 than one of your correspondents did, although maybe 7.75 out of 10 rather than a full 8. It suffers from being ham-handed in the way that it throws out all the backstory and resolves it in the same episode. I suspect that nowadays this information would have been seeded in an earlier episode in this one, and there would be a better developed B-plot in this one to fill the space. This, the, the Whoa. <laughs> Does this episode have a B plot? Wow, it's not 90s storytelling, but 70s. Mm. Plus, there's alcoholic has a relapse that is neatly boxed into a single episode and it's dealt with by having him overcome the obstacle in the episode's plot. I don't think that this is quite the most effective dramatic treatment of addiction. Uh-huh. But there are things I like about Survivors 2 and not just, not just that it's not believers. <laughs> <laughs> For one thing, I actually like the casting and performance of the actor who plays Major Kimmer. She looks young for the rank, but that to me communicates that she's had a media, meteoric career that has given her this plum assignment at an early age. The actor plays a part both bottled up emotionally and utterly confident in her own judgment, which suggests to me that this is someone who dealt with her childhood loss and Garibaldi's abandonment of her in its aftermath by disciplining herself to pour all of her energies into achievement at school and then into her career. I read Kimmer's actions in this episode as partly a personal vendetta against Garibaldi, but partly her deeper willingness to admit to her own fallibility. It can't be an accident that she ended up in exactly Garibaldi's specialism, but at an officer rank and at a more important level. Her entire life has been devoted to proving that she would not have failed where he did and that therefore what happened didn't have to happen. Therefore, it's not just that if she's wrong about Garibaldi now, maybe she's wrong about Garibaldi then. It's also that if she can be wrong about security full stop, that she might have been Garibaldi back then.
2: Interesting. I like it.
1: Yeah, nice perspective on it.
0: This seems to me to hit hit on important territory about the way in which security as an area is about our urge to eliminate risk and failure from our lives. It falls in the category of takes on this, that would... See this as being in some sense about a loss of the sense of security and hindsight we had in childhood. Granted, this is well-trodden territory, but it's well-trodden because it's genuinely, it genuinely is important. Which raises another thing. This episode is clearly a product of a time when the Kennedy assassination was the most totemic failure of security in the American imagination. It's interesting to revisit such stories post-9-11. I suspect that nowadays it would be a mass loss of civilian life that had been narrowly averted, and that endangering the life of a head of state doesn't have the same emotional power anymore.
2: Wow, thanks. That was very thoughtful.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's all the feedback we have this week, folks. If you want to send feedback, send it to bail at com. Yeah,
1: thanks for all that feedback. we got a nice load there. I really want some more back feedback, guys. It would be brilliant to hear your voices on the podcast as well. Yes. So please get yourself recording in any way you can. Well,
0: how about some predictions? The name of the next episode is Signs and Importance. Oh. Any predictions?
2: So this is also the episode, the way that what they're calling the season, this first right. season, Signs and right. Importance. So clearly, this next episode is important. Um. <laughs> Well, okay. So I think I'm going to say that Kosh is going to be in it because he's sort of been cryptically talking about signs and various things. And he's just been cryptic. Full stop. Um, I'm wondering if... I think the Home Guard is going to be involved somehow. I think they're going to be a reference to the Home Guard. But I'm also wondering and I don't know if it's going to be in this next episode but I'm wondering if we're going to see more about um, those beans, Those huge beans that... Sinclair's girlfriend of two episodes Saw um, oh. the Space Walkers or whatever the, are the Walkers mm-hmm. I wonder Sigma if we're gonna nine
1: five seven.
2: Yeah, what if we're going to see those again this, this season but I would say it might have something to do with the Home Guard and I'm also going to predict that Sinclair loses his job not next episode necessarily uh, but that He or maybe he's replaced by an up and comer, you know, or somebody else that has that's more a little bit more palatable to the Senate. Though they though may not turn out to be that way in the end. Um, that's just a random guess. And I'm wondering when the uh, and I know for sure it's gonna happen because I just know it that missing Babylon station is gonna come back. It has to. So if it if it does come back. I would say it would be in this season because they talked about it at the beginning of the season. I don't know. So, I I haven't actually discussed what I mean, what I think the signs' importance mean, but um, I'm just dancing around it. I th- but I just I think Kosh, I think pretty much all the ambassadors are going to be in the next episode, which will make me very happy.
1: Yeah, it's a real shame Heidi's not here because you do a great job of bouncing off one another when she is.
2: Oh well, thank you very much. <laughs> Apparently I'm falling flat right now but No um, you're not, I'm, <laughs> I'm
1: just kidding. saying well, it's e- I think it's easier when there's two of you who can develop ideas together
2: Yeah, I, I don't I don't know, I, I think the Vorlons are involved somehow in this sign's importance though um, and oh and we haven't really talked about the Psy core re- recently and that's going to be big I think in the future so, hmm, I don't know now. Maybe that's going to come up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They've developed, I mean, they have developed quite a few things that could turn out to be bigger. You know, they're kind of touching on different areas and, and they're teasing things here and there. But, and even though these last few episodes have been kind of slow for me, I'm still like very anticipate, I'm anticipating, you know, what's to happen, what's to come. And I know that there's going to be big stuff coming. So. I'm just looking forward to ooh. anything that's named, signs, importance. I'm just, I'm already excited about, so. any? Do you have any questions? Maybe I can answer questions. Yeah. No. So that's all. All right. Oh, and I'm totally not even talking about the whole Mimbari, Sinclair, hole in the mind, uh dying leader thing. <laughs> My other prediction. Oh, God, there's so many things. <laughs> um, that's got to come up, too. So, ooh. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next episode.
0: All righty. Well, that's all we have for today, folks. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and goodbye.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com downbelowcast.